The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, United cook up a storm in the dripping pan. Brits abroad and making fantasy football a reality. Hello, it's Lindsay Hooper here for your weekly dose of women's football. With me today, it's the Athletics' Harriet Drudge, who's also a writer for Manchester United Women and back from a lovely trip in Rome. Hello, Harriet. Hi, Lindsay. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Maybe not quite as good as you, maybe not quite as rested, recuperated, and um, yeah, just generally culturized because you, you'll have been taking in all the sights of Rome. Was it brilliant? Yeah, just back from Rome late on Friday night. Um, all the sunshine out there as well. Missed out on seeing any live football as both Roma teams were away whilst we were there, which was a real shame. Ah, uh, which, especially with Roma women who are flying in Syria and face Barcelona in Champions League this week, of course. But yeah. we did all the tourist hotspots, ate lots of pizza, pasta and gelato, <laughs> even found some classic football shirts in some of the vintage shops. So we did get our football fix in the end. Very good. Well, if we were having a video option to this today, which we aren't, I would be asking you to hold those up, but we'll do that <laughs> next time. Uh, we've also got the athletic Sarah Shepherd joining us as well. Um, can you compete on that front, Sarah? Have you, have you been eating lots of pizza at least? Uh, I'd like to say yes. I mean, I've been eating lots of rubbish food because uh, I've been at home in Hemel Hempstead on sea uh, with a poorly toddler. So not much, oh. not much cooking being done, <laughs> and uh, lots of watching Peppa Pig. So yeah, it doesn't really compare, does it? <laughs> We've allowed Harriet to talk about that European element of her trip because we have got some big European football matchups that we're going to be discussing later on. Uh, we're also going to be speaking to El Bill from She Plays about women's fantasy football. We don't hear enough about it, do we? We we don't understand why there isn't an official one. Do you both play? This is a really silly question for me to ask Harriet because <laughs> I know the answer already. Well. I do I do play I always start the season with the best of intentions but once I start missing the deadlines for selecting my team I'm out I leave it I leave my selection uh, to just kind of do its thing for the rest of of the season uh, and look at it at the end all I'm hearing there Sarah is excuses excuses (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid I'm afraid you're gonna hear more because I don't I don't play it I used to and I I used to do exactly what Harriet just said she does (laughs) And then I kind of thought, what, what's the point? And I also, I didn't really like the fact that it made me want other teams to win other than <laughs> the team that I support. I, I found that quite difficult. So, yeah. The I'm, difference being, though, year. potentially with that, and you, you've just hit on it, in women's football, I think we're seeing this expansive fandom, which is really growing, whereby people follow a player. So there is every possibility that this would be a huge success in the women's game if if a company really, really backed it. I mean, she plays are doing all this voluntarily. We'll hear more about it later on. But I, I'm sure that there's so many people out there that wish there was an official women's fantasy football league. They surely do, don't they, Harriet? Yeah, definitely. And I, I'd love a women's one. Uh, well, especially because there'd be fewer deadlines for me to miss. But it's also <laughs> such a great way to engage with the game in a different way and learn about players you might not know about otherwise based on the budget constraints that you have uh, in selecting your squads. But yeah, I think there's definitely an appetite out there. Like you say, there's 
lots of people following particular clubs uh, or particular players because of you know seeing them kind of come to to different leagues uh, and their international allegiance as well. So you know lots of Australian fans, for example, following Chelsea for Sam Kerr. Um, yes. So yeah, I think we'd get we get lots of uh, interest in that in particular. Okay, well, we'll get more on that later. Let's start, though, on the South Coast. Lewis, in their FA Cup quarterfinal, were matched up against Manchester United. We couldn't wait for this one. And we can pretend that we're watching this one from one of those hospitality beach huts. They look lovely. Oh, dearie me. Hurts with the error and punished. Emily Craft gets Lewis back into the cup tie. Paris on the move. Again, Paris looking to create another opportunity. Nikita Paris! With the goal that will surely send Manchester United through to the FA Cup semi-finals. Beach Hut's looking comfortable aside. I'm afraid we have to say that Manchester United also look comfortable in this one. Uh, Championship side Lewis, they put up a fight, but the WSL second place side were too strong. It ended 3-1 to Manchester United at the dripping pan. Um, Harriet, I think we would have expected Manchester United to dominate an opponent like Lewis, wouldn't we? But they didn't have it all their way. No, definitely not. Um, and that's kind of cut football for you, isn't it? From the outside looking in, you'd expect Manchester United to kind of dominate, like we said. This is second in the WSL versus eighth in the Women's Championship. But cut football rarely goes that way. And football isn't played on paper, is it? So it was quite an occasion. Lots of coverage around Lewis, the incredible work that that club were doing around equality. Their crowd, staff, players were, you know, rightly pumped for this massive FA Cup tie so yeah even though you know the scoreline is you know fairly fairly modest in terms of the discrepancy between you know the the league positions of both teams I think you know Man United did did a professional job and you know it's the results that matter in cup matches isn't it I also I mean I looked at the attendance for this one it's 2,801 lots of people standing I know the dripping pan I mean it's in a book that I've got on my coffee table somewhere it was number one stadium in the world I'm not joking it came in at number one it's clearly a small venue and I guess in terms of the game growing we're now starting to look at the structure Harriet of all these different stadiums and what once we thought would be a 2,000, 3,000 capacity and probably wouldn't get full is now looking more like a 10,000, would you say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen just the boom in interest in women's football over the last few years and not just in this country, elsewhere as well. And I think, you know, one of the one of the things that we want to still, still see uh, is the, the women's players have a connection with the fans and those smaller grounds have enabled that to to be a reality. Uh, you see post-match, every match, the players stay out on the pitch, they go round, they're taking photos, uh, meeting young girls, uh, young boys as well, uh, who are, you know, now, I think we saw uh, Kim Kardashian's uh, boys wearing uh, <laughs> yes. Arsenal women's players' shirts uh, last week. You know, there's, yeah. there's such McCabe. interest. I, I love <laughs> that Katie McCabe uh, got called out in that. I mean, Mead Bar, quite predictable, but seeing McCabe on the back of one of the, the children's shirts is great. Absolutely. And we're seeing that more and more, you know, especially in this country now, we're seeing, we're seeing the women's footballers getting more credit. It's kind of ingrained now in, 
youngsters watching football for football, not kind of distinguishing between the fact that it's men's and women's uh, as much, which is great. And, and you know, more of a profile for, for players like Katie McCabe, who absolutely deserves it. And I know uh, Ella Toon mentioned this week about perhaps that not being sustainable in the bigger stadiums. So they're looking into, you know, how do we keep that connection? Uh, and it's an important point that she's brought up. The women are really keen to keep, you know, at the top level, really keen to keep that connection going, maybe in part due to what's happened in the men's game where there's maybe that surface level connection between players and fans, but it's a bit Instagram versus reality. Women's teams want to keep that, you know, want to keep themselves grounded in the reality and and keep that human side of the game going. All of these issues, we have to give credit to Lewis FC because they are at the forefront of trying to lobby, campaign, get action and change. And they've done it more than once. I mean, if you look at FA Cup prize money, which is one of the things that they're they're trying to get to the forefront at the moment for equal prize money, Lewis have equal budgets for their men's and women's teams. Um, they redistribute the FA Cup prize money accordingly because of that as well. But that gap, they are pointing out um, the women's has increased to 3 million the prize part but the men's rose to 19.8 million so it's actually a wider gap than before what's your take on that and where where the women's game should be should it be getting equal or should it be just asking to reduce the gap <laughs> it's a really it's a really difficult one i i really admire lewis's stance on this um and i i think they've done they've made a brilliant statement um and it when you read it it all makes complete sense the gap is growing I know you shouldn't really compare across sports, but if you look at tennis, this year, it's, it's 50 years this year since the US Open became the first Grand Slam to offer equal prize money. 50 years ago, they did that in mm. tennis. When you think about the gap that still exists in men's and women's football, it's just, it feels it feels a bit wrong. And so putting, putting pressure on the FA in that way, um, I really, really do admire. And I would love to see them think about how the money, how the prize money is distributed um, and make it more even across the women's game and also the um, like non-league and the lower league teams. Because as, as Lewis pointed out, the money at the moment is all going where it's least needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you ask the question, what, what is the FA's remit ultimately? It's to grow the game, right? Where is the opportunity for big, the biggest growth in football at the moment? It's probably in the women's game. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So I, I, I really admire Lewis's stance. And I, yeah, I have no problem with them asking for for equal prize money. There will have been articles written on this before. We have got a fresh one. If you go to The Athletic, uh, Flo Lloyd-Hughes has an interview with Lynn Burrell, who's Lewis's general manager on this very topic. So give that a read. Um, Coming back finally, just to a couple of issues on the pitch. Uh, We have to give Lewis their moment in the sun with that goal. Wow. (laughs) German-Irish striker Emily Kraft. She was the one that scored for Lewis in this one with a beautiful lob over Mary Earps. Uh, She joined from Frankfurt's second team so she might actually have had a connection and and known Mary Earps from her time when she was in Germany Um, what do you think that moment gives the club Harriet? Oh it gives them a massive boost and I mean at that point it was it was 2-1 as well in in the game so uh, it gave them a boost at at that point that potentially the comeback was on but just to to score a goal of that quality as well against a, a goalkeeper like Mary Earps I mean it just lifts it lifts the entire squad uh I know I know from playing myself when one of your teammates uh, scores one like that as well, it just lifts every player on the pitch and they'll take confidence from that going into the rest of their league season. 
Finally, there's a quandary over Nikita Paris at the moment because her league form is not matching her FA Cup form. And we see this in the men's game as well as the women's where some players, they just, for some reason, can't stop scoring in a cup competition. When it comes to translating that back over to the league, it doesn't happen for, for whatever reason. Can we go any way to explaining this, Sarah? Have you ever written about this before? I don't think I have, actually. It is, it is an interesting one. And I'm sure that Mark Skinner will be scratching his head and trying to figure out, you know, how he can get more out of Paris in in the league. I think she's 15 matches played and and just two goals. Which yeah, but for four like, goals in the FA Cup. Yeah, you know, for someone like Nikita Paris to to have that return in the league is 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 concerning. You know, she's made 11, 11 of those 15 matches have been starts as well, so it's not like she's not getting the opportunities. And yeah, then when you see her form in the in the cup, you kind of think, well, why is, there, why is there such a difference? Is it that teams in the league are more aware of her and they kind of can anticipate what she's going to do more um, so they, they're better at stopping her? I don't know, but I'm sure it's, yeah, like I said, it's something that Mark Skinner is going to be looking to, to figure out or to get to the bottom of for sure. Well, Lewis couldn't pull off an upset in that one, but Aston Villa did knock out three-time champions Manchester City as we move on to our next match. Uh, they won 2-1 in extra time. The winning tapping goal was from Rachel Daly, of course, yes. Um, does it count as a shock or an upset? Should we even refer to it in those terms, Harriet? I don't think it's a shock, but I think it still counts as a bit of an upset. Um, so I'm splitting out those two mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think there's an expectation around Manchester City uh, that they'll be there or thereabouts in terms of the finals of the domestic competitions. And their form has picked up pretty significantly in the league. So they've won four of the last five. So I think even though uh, they they lost their, their opening game of the season, I think it was against Villa, uh, I think they would have been expecting to, to, to win this one. But... I know you've had conversations about it as well. Uh, Villa have recruited well this season. They're they're a different prospect, especially with the experience they've got across the squad now, with with knobs in the middle and and daily scoring really important goals. But perhaps they're City's bogeys team. Perhaps. It did surprise me. And the reason why it surprised me more in this one, Sarah, was because of the run that City have been on lately. None of us had really been talking about them for the title for a while. Then suddenly there they are in and amongst it going on this brilliant run. It could be that they've got their focus on the league. And of course, Bunny Shaw has been in brilliant form. But we do have to point out that Villa have beaten City twice now this season, drawn once. There are only two places behind them in the table as well. So potentially, rather than just talking about a top four, maybe we should be expanding and talking about Villa, certainly for next season. I hope so. Um, I've really enjoyed watching them this season. And like you said, they've recruited so well. And I'm pleased for Carla Ward. She she seems like a brilliant manager. Last night's game was really enjoyable. I feel like City, they they missed so many chances. Bunny Shaw, I'd never (laughs) missed so many chances. (laughs) We've seen that with Sam Kerr, though, before, haven't we? And the, the best strikers, sometimes they have those days where they, they have so many chances. She was still in the right places. She just didn't yeah. put the ball in the net. <laughs> yeah, I think, isn't there a stat that um, Bunny should have taken something like 80, 80 shots or something? And, and the next one is Rachel Daly and she's on something like... 35 so that Bunny wow. should take like the most amount of shots you know so th- there's a big output and then obviously their goals are, are up there as well but they also miss quite a few um <laughs> as yeah Bunny did last night but yeah I would I would like to see that that top four become a top five but I think we have to be a little bit cautious um 
I mean, you almost, almost saw it with Spurs, you know, last season they, they threatened to maybe not do what, what Villa have, but, you know, we kind of thought that they were breaking into that top area, didn't we? And then look at what's happened this mm-hmm. season. So I think you need to kind of consider it across more than one season, but um, at the moment it looks, it looks really promising. Aston Villa and Manchester United will be joined by Brighton and Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-finals. And the draw for that is on Tuesday. At this stage in the season, in the men's game, things would be hotting up in your friend's fantasy league. I know they are for me. Uh, That friend as well who spends all week studying the stats (laughs) might be closing in on the win or losing like me and regretting the time that you've wasted doing it. But in the women's game, there isn't any official fantasy football league. Elle Bill is with us now from She Plays. Uh, They make their own fantasy league for women's football around the world. Elle, hello and thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I guess we start with the fact that there isn't an official one. I mean, why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of reasons, to be honest. Um, I think overall in terms of culture, we're still building women's football culture kind of a bit from the ground up. And for better or for worse, we have some things that the men's football culture maybe doesn't have. But fantasy football is not one of the things that has really been a big part of the women's football culture. Um, I think some of that might be to do with the fact that gaming and stats are kind of also things that maybe have not been as as open to women in the past. But you can see like in terms of gaming, like FIFA's now got the women's players in there, which is great. Mm-hmm. And like Football Manager are introducing women. Um, so yeah, and also just in terms of there's less money in the game. So I guess there are other things that rightly people around the game, like the FA are probably uh, prioritising things um, other than fancy football, which you know, given the choice between fancy football and, and things like pitch quality and uh, injury prevention and maternity rights, I think it's fine that fancy football has taken a bit of a backseat for the past few years. But yeah. <laughs> for now, for now, Elle. Although I watch yeah. enough Dragon's Den to know that it's all about spotting a gap in the market. And that's exactly what you've done. I, I'm thinking if I was playing along this season, who would be the brilliant performers? And off the back of this weekend as well, I'm thinking Rachel Daly's got to be right up there and Bunny Shaw. Yeah, but I think Bunny Shaw is the number one at the moment. She's obviously had a fantastic season, but yeah, Rachel Daly is, is just behind there and it's quite different compared to previous seasons where uh, yeah, we also always used to have the, if in doubt, you captain uh, Viv Miedemar, but um, unfortunately mm-hmm. that's not the case anymore. So it's kind of alongside the, the league getting a bit more competitive. We're also getting some some new names coming through in terms of points, which is obviously making it a lot more exciting as well. So just before I bring Harriet and Sarah in on this, so I know they'll be chomping at the bit to get involved. What has the response been like to the the Women's Fantasy League that you've set up? She plays have obviously been around for some time. You're trusted by the fan base. Do you find there's a, a big appetite for it? And have you seen any increase in interest as well? Uh, yeah, there is. We, If you don't know our story, we started in 2016 in Australia as a group of friends who um, wanted to to participate in the fantasy league for what was then the A-League. And then we we expanded um, and we now have uh, WSL for a few seasons. We've done the World Cup. We did the Euros um, and we've now expanded to the NWSL. We we get kind of several thousand for, for each competition, but um, especially the WSL has increased um, over the past few years and it doubled since last year. So now we get about like four to 5,000 people playing, which is great. And there's, there's definitely an appetite for that. And I assume as the sport grows um, it's just going to keep keep going which is great. Brilliant. 
I know that Harriet's played these sorts of things before. Mm -hmm. We used to live together once, so I know the discussions we've had. What would you like to know, Harriet? One of my burning questions would be around the deadline, because honestly, uh, over the last few years, the deadline uh, for making changes uh, has been the thing that's tripped me up so many times. And I guess the point scoring as well. So I feel like there are players who constantly perform well, but because there isn't a kind of mechanic for point scoring for them. So like, I know we're into the realms of pre-assists and things like that, but yeah, is there anything different around point scoring and when's the deadline? So when I do get involved, I don't miss it. Yeah, sure. The deadline is also a bit of a point of contention for us as well, because um, especially when we got all the cancellations and postponements and stuff like that last year, um, it's generally about half an hour or an hour before the first match of that round. So sometimes it will be on a, a Friday night and sometimes it will be on a Saturday morning. But yeah, it's it's you keep an eye out for the socials and, and follow that. <laughs> I've also been chopped up before. We, we have a kind of a breakdown on our website um, of all the points. There are some things that are, are very structured. So you get five points for a goal, three for assist, um, minus five for a red, minus two for a yellow card. But some things like there are also attack points and defense points and goalkeeper points, which are a lot more subjective and can really affect, yeah, the points that you get. So there's kind of a bit of, you know, if you're going to put three midfielders in there, you probably don't want to put a defensive midfielder in there, just, you know, even if they're really good, because they're not going to get as many uh, attacking points as the rest of your midfield um, and defensive points aren't worth, worth as many. One of my favorite, like, weird little quirks is that because Leah Williamson doesn't make any doesn't really make any tackles. She doesn't get tackle points, so she might be, she might get, she might be fantastic, but she she might not score as many. Uh, she might not get as many um, points. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a you know you can know how to play the game and uh, and stats in general. That's just how stats are, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's quite fun to have a look at. I guess I don't know what what have been the biggest challenges in launching something like this because I can imagine there have been plenty but like was specifically related to the women's game what have you found the most challenging aspect of getting this up and running um I think historically we haven't we we kind of do it out of our own pocket kind of getting interest from from people who maybe want to sponsor us um, has been a big issue and we do it because we we love it and uh, we want to see it succeed and we we know that eventually you know that will come but um yeah getting the interest um from kind of investments and stuff like that has been quite a big uh issue also stats for the women's game because of the quality of like the available broadcast obviously the WSL has only had a broadcast deal for a couple of seasons has really affected stats um especially things like so if we're building a player database for a, a big tournament um, and you have, I was doing the Switzerland one. And if you have players that kind of, I mean, the squad players, and they might play a few minutes, but you don't know really how to um, how to price them because there's so few stats out there on these smaller players. And even in the WSL, you get kind of younger players. They, you don't get as many stats for them as you might for the, the men's game. We've also had issues getting stats um so for the for the euros we had a bit of an issue where we just we couldn't find a stats provider for a, a couple of games and we had to someone kind of swooped in and saved us but there just isn't the stats infrastructure there for the women's game as there in is for the men's and there are some really good stats providers out there who are doing stuff but there just isn't isn't the historic kind of investment there so yeah another thing that we know will get better but has maybe not been there in the past 
The knock-on effect as well of that from what Sarah was saying is that there are going to be some discrepancies and ones that you're going to find it really difficult to be able to justify. You know, we get all these angles for every single match in in the men's. And then also I play FPL on the Premier League site and you can find out immediately on their Twitter who got the assist and then it's contested sometimes. And then they say, oh, actually it's an own goal or it's an unassisted goal. That's so much hard work for you to keep across. I'm guessing you can't possibly do it to that level at the moment. Yeah, I mean... I, I think our stats provider has been really good. Um, but if you don't know how like stats works in across matches, basically stats providers have a group of, of people who tag up games. Um, so yeah, it really depends on the quality of the broadcast. Um, and we've been asked before to expand to the Frauen Bundesliga and, uh, and we just haven't been able to because of the quality of the broadcast. Some of their matches haven't been broadcast. I think that's getting better because I think the zone have, have picked some of them up. But yeah, we so for some matches the stats just aren't there or they're they're too delayed. So we we don't get the uh, I know for FPL you get um, kind of almost real time. Um, you get to watch your points go up, and I would love genuinely love that for the for women's mm. fantasy football. I think that would make it a lot more uh, engaging and exciting. So yeah, hopefully at some point we'll get there. I was just gonna gonna ask how big a team you've got L because obviously it's it sounds like such a massive job, and I can imagine the FPL team is become humongous over the years how many people do you do you guys have working on this yeah so we're we're fully volunteer based and we are registered as a non-profit in australia so um for some things kind of are taken care of because of that we get a lot of our data um for free because we're a non-profit but um if it was to expand into a commercial enterprise we'd have to pay about three thousand pounds per competition per season so we run about five so that would be quite a lot of money but overall across um across the world we have about 40 volunteers um, across 10 different time zones who cover yeah, the WSL, the NWSL, the A-League and all the international competitions and do lots of work in terms of uh, we, sometimes we have people go to matches and write up match reports and sometimes we have uh, people do stats breakdowns and then obviously we have kind of the back end of uh, keeping the website running and uploading the points and stuff like that. So yeah, very grateful to our volunteers. Picking up on the fact that you're an Australia-based company, you know where I'm going next, Al. There is a huge <laughs> tournament this summer happening yes. in Australia and New Zealand. Is there going to be a special version for the World Cup? Yes. So uh, our intention is to to keep the uh, the bigger bigger tournaments going. So the Euros and the World Cup, and we have just started uh, pulling together some kind of potential squads for for the World Cup and assigning them to people, so we know who who's going to price them up. And yeah, so we're looking to launch at the beginning of July. And we uh, we run different mini leagues for different organisations and supporters clubs. So if anyone is interested in getting involved in that, they are welcome to contact us. Um, but yeah, yeah, really looking forward. <laughs> you've you've started it now, Elle. You've started it. I know I know how competitive as well Harriet is. Um, so <laughs> I think an athletic women's football podcast league could be right yeah. up our street. Sarah, would you be in as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, just before we let you go, Ellen, thank you so much for your time. Can you remind everyone how they can find She Plays? Yes. Yeah, so our website is uh, sheplays.com.au um, and that's where we host all of our competitions. Uh, we're also on Twitter at sheplays underscore au and Instagram there as well. And then we have a separate account for NWSL if you're interested in that. 
I'll go away with producer Sophie and think about how we can make this really interesting as well. <laughs> I, I like there to be some sort of carrot dangling at the end for the winner. We'll work out what we can do. Thank you very much, Elle, for joining us today. Uh, it's great to get the lowdown on what you've been up to. Um, if you have any thoughts on this as well at home, do get in touch. Use the hashtag AthleticWFP. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. It's a crucial week for European clubs and the Brits playing abroad. After the midweek Champions League, it's El Clasico in Spain and Bayern take on Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga. France and Italy didn't get the memo, but that's okay. We're down with that. First off, we caught up with German women's football journalist Alina Ruprecht to see how Stamway has been getting on at Bayern. The Georgia's that way. Alina, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's great to finally be able to talk in depth with someone about Bundesliga because from afar, we've been admiring what, what's been going on for some time. And I, I suppose our levels were peaked as well when Georgia Stanway went over to Bayern. Can we start there with, with how she's settled in and how she's getting on? Of course, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. I think Georgia Stanway settled in very well in Munich. Um, I think it's the main thing at the club that new players settle in very, very well in a short amount of time. And she's been a key player from the start on, started nearly every game. And I don't think that um, Bayern at the moment can imagine a starting eleven without her. And in, in terms of the rest of the league, you know, how good is she in that position? How is she faring against the rest? Um, I think she's definitely one of the best in her position. I think that's one of the main things why she chose Munich as well, because she has a fixed position right now in defensive midfield, having an amazing partnership with Austrian international Sarah Zadratzil, like a double pivot in defensive midfield. And I think that's something that she wants, it's a fixed position, a clear task on the pitch not, and not being shifted around different positions for every game and I think that's what she wanted consistency and developing as a player and I think that's something that she um, was able to do it here in Munich. Uh, before we move on with with more of the fixtures that Georgia and Bayern have got to look forward to I, I wonder just generally where German football and the, the women's model is sitting in world football at the moment. I remember it being Alina one of the the models that we were looking at replicating and I mean dare I say that I think the WSL is probably nudged ahead of it now. I think one the main aspect where the WSL is ahead right now is like the professionalization. The, the Frauen Bundesliga is not fully professionalized. There's a few clubs where where the players can fully focus on football and not have not having to work aside of it. But um, there's a lot of clubs and players where um, this is not the case, um, which is why there's a bit of an unequal competition at the moment. But um, if we look at the quality that's on the pitch and the tactics and the quality of the players and the, the head coaches, then I think that's the same level like the English league. And is it still that the big hitters are Bayern and Wolfsburg? I know that that fixture is coming up soon. We've got Georgia facing a lot of her Lionesses teammates in the Champions League game against Arsenal on Tuesday. So that's going to be a big one. I don't know when people are going to end up listening to this show, Alina, but it might be that Bayern versus Wolfsburg is the next one that focuses on. Are they the two big hitters? Is there anyone else coming to disrupt those two? No, I think they are the big clubs at the moment here in Germany and there's no club that will like pose any danger to them um, when it comes to the title race. But there's other clubs that are currently investing more and more, but it's obviously a, a process that, take, that takes a lot of time. And I think the clubs that we need to keep an eye on in the future are TSG Hoffenheim and Eintracht Frankfurt. 
Oh, I will make a note of those and then we'll start scouting for some players, I'm sure, from some of those clubs as well. Uh, Wolfsburg are leading uh, the Bundesliga, aren't they, for I think it's two points at the moment as you go into this game. Are you expecting them to win this one or or is it more complicated than that? I think there's a chance for both Bayern and Wolfsburg to to win the title race in the end. Um, I think obviously the game coming up next Saturday is the decisive one and yeah, I, th- I think it can go both ways. It's so hard to predict. Bayern are missing a few players due to injury and so do Wolfsburg. And also um, Wolfsburg lost a game against TSG Hoffenheim recently to one defeat at home. And it shows that Wolfsburg are vulnerable, but also Bayern are also vulnerable. And it's so hard to predict. Um, and I think that's just that shows the quality that we have here in Germany in the league, that it can really go both ways and that there's not only one team that can really win the league. Who are the other players? We've spoken a lot about Georgia Stanway and we're so pleased she's getting on well. But who are the other players in in the league that you really admire? Oh, there's a lot at VfL Wolfsburg. There's Eva, Eva Payo, in my opinion, one of the most informed, not maybe maybe the most informed striker in Europe at the moment. And um, also at, at Bayern, there's a lot of players that you, need to keep, that you need to keep an eye on that can really be um, a threat for Arsenal tomorrow. Um, Clara Bühl, Lea Schiller in offence. And also Laura Freigang at Eintracht Frankfurt, a player playing at number 10 um, in offence and being a playmaker and also scoring a lot of goals. And just before we let you go, there is the World Cup this summer. We know what happened in that European Championship final. It's done wonders for the game in England. But you were without your best player in that final. And I keep reminding everyone that I think Germany are a team to look at in this tournament. What is the general mood over there about the World Cup coming up? I think the German national team is very confident about the Women's World Cup coming up next next summer. And I think there's a realistic chance to really make it far in the tournament, why not the final? I think um Alexandra Pop has said it in a in a recent interview with uh, with the with FIFA that she definitely thinks that there's a there's a chance that Germany could win the World Cup. And I think if you look at the squad and the quality they have like so many talented players, it's just so hard to pick a starting eleven even. And I think there's a realistic chance. It's just um it's just important that everyone keeps fit and injury free and then there's a realistic chance. Yeah. I'm feeling very positive about the Lionesses, but I must say, I think Germany are the team that I'm thinking in the back of my mind could be the challengers. Um, thank you so much, Alina, for your time. Uh, we'd love to check in with you again at some point. Um, but thank you for being on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. That was me speaking to Alina Ruprecht, turning from Germany to Spain now. And Sarah, you recently caught up with Caroline Weir for an interview on The Athletic. She's been flying in Spain, 13 goals so far, which is four more than any previous season. Ahí está Caroline Weir, que se va con clase. ¡Qué clase tiene! I felt from the moment she went out there, she had the bit between her teeth. There's something going on with Caroline Weir where she wants to prove to the world just how good she is. Did you get that sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, She sounded really, really happy, obviously, with her her form. Like you said, she's been flying over there. And, you know, when I asked her why why she decided to go, she said, you know, she, she wants to win things. And while a lot of people might question, you know, why move to Real Madrid as opposed to a more established team than, you know, like Barcelona or or by Munich, et cetera. She, you know, she said that that was the club when she went to meet them. She, 
you know, you get a feeling about a place and she obviously got on well with the manager and she feels like the project there is is one that that she believes in and that they're going to put everything into succeeding in the Champions League in future seasons, obviously not this year, but in, in future seasons. Um, so she's definitely... She's definitely, like I said, got a bit between her teeth and she's focused on on winning things. And I thought that was quite an interesting part of what she said about why she moved on from City. Um, mm. She basically said, I, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure if we were going to push on and really go and compete. So I wanted a new challenge. And I thought that was quite damning on on you know her feelings about about the club. Also, there was another issue I think that materialised from your chat, which was this trade-off, I suppose, between joining a top elite club. You know you're going to get regular Champions League football. You're going to play at the very highest level. But then when you look at the league as a whole, it's not as competitive. Yeah, I don't think you can really doubt that at the moment. Real Madrid are obviously, they're, they're battling to to close the gap on Barcelona. And a few weeks ago, it looked like it looked like they were. Um, I think there were sort of four points in it, but now it's it's expanded to ten. So it looks like again they, there's going to be quite a gap come the end of the season, which is something that I know Caroline and and Real Madrid are really keen to to start to change. They're obviously they're way behind Barcelona in terms of where they are as a club. They're much newer, so that is going to take time. But yeah, in terms of the overall competitiveness of the league. Now, you know, we're, we're really blessed with the, with the WSL, especially this season, you know, top and bottom to an extent. There's, there's, it's really competitive. And, yep, she's not, she's not going to find that week in, week out in the league and not, not at this moment in time. So that is, I guess that's a bit of a, a trade-off. Like you said, there are pros and cons. She's loving the fact that she's had a new challenge. She's learning new things. She's in a new culture. And that could be really refreshing for players who have only ever played in, in one or two countries you know, before. But, like you said, she's she's missing out on some of that week in, week out competitiveness that we see in the WSL. It's not just Spain. We heard from Alina earlier, didn't we, about Germany and, and it's very similar there. There are lionesses that we've known very little about on the domestic scene that have been lionesses. I mean, up until Rachel Daly joined Aston Villa, she was completely picked on her form at Houston Dash. We've got that now as well with Ebony Salmon, a former player that we could credit that with as well is Jodie Taylor. I mean, she has played in WSL before. She's played abroad a lot though, USA, Canada, Australia, Sweden, France. She is coming back to the UK because she's rejoined Arsenal now until the end of the season. But it's players like that, isn't it? That you you think that this isn't new. This has been done for a while. I mean, God, yeah. Um, Kelly Smith, you know, <laughs> she she went to the US. There was a time when when they had to go to the US to mm-hmm. To have a proper professional setup, you know, Kelly always says that's that's why she she left England because she didn't want to train twice a week. You know, only getting an evening, an hour, you know, for those those days in the evening on a pitch that had been ripped up all day after work. <laughs> so she went to America and she had a much more professional view on the game, and that gave her um, obviously. I think she suffered injuries out there, but Enya Luko did the same thing. There was a period yeah. where they, that's what they had to do to really feel like they were advancing their game. And it's it's great now in one respect that players don't feel like they have to do it, but it would be nice to see more players taking it up as an option, especially maybe younger players, if they're not getting opportunities in WSL teams, looking abroad for opportunities, you know, like we've kind of seen with in the men's game with Jaden Sancho and Emil Smith-Rowe did it on loan as well from Arsenal. I think it it, it might happen, might start to happen in the women's game as as the years go on that that younger players, if they're not getting opportunities in their own teams, might 
start to look abroad a bit more. And I think that that will only benefit the national team. Mm, because we've got these big rivalries this week, can I get some predictions? So we've got El Clasico and we've got Bayern against Wolfsburg. And I will start with you, Harriet. Give us your predictions. I think the gaps closing between Wolfsburg and Bayern last year in April, Bayern lost 6-0 to Wolfsburg, but then earlier this season it was 2-1. Wolfsburg got two big games coming up away from home in the Champions League and then the Bayern match. Bayern's is flipped. They're both playing at home. So there's plenty of incentives for both. I'm going to go with Bayern, I think, uh, and it will really kind of tighten up that already tight title race in Germany. Mm, and have you got a score? Uh, I'm going to go reverse 2-1. I think it will still be quite a tight match, uh, but Bayern will, will pip it. Well, I think I'll probably have to say Wolfsburg then 3-1. <laughs> and I'm going to go Wolfsburg 2-1. I think it's going to be exactly the same score as last time, actually. Although I do agree with Harriet that I think that gap is massively closing. Um, El Clasico is a different one. I, we spoke to Leia recently about El Clasico and she was pointing out, similar to what you were saying about the Germany sides, that the gap isn't as much of a chasm as I think from an outside point of view we'd think it is. Although I'm still going to say I think Barcelona will win this one. Yeah, I'm going to say Barcelona, uh, probably 3-1. I'm afraid I'm going to have to go for Barcelona as well. Maybe I'll say 2-1, a little bit, little bit closer. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I wouldn't put it past Caroline Weir getting a goal in this one, but I am going to keep it tight. I'm going to say 1-0, actually 1-0 Barcelona. Uh, make sure you head to The Athletic to check out Sarah's interview with Caroline Weir. And if there are any player moves to clubs abroad that you'd like to see, you think it would benefit the national sides in particular, let us know using the hashtag AthleticWFP. This is The Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper. Here in the UK this weekend, it's Women's Football Weekend. We've got the Merseyside Derby as Everton hosts Liverpool at Goodison Park. And then the North London Derby with Arsenal going to Spurs. Man City hosts Chelsea, plus Man United welcome West Ham to Old Trafford. Chelsea City is is the really big one. You know, if, if Chelsea don't win that, then the title race is much, you know, it's kind of wide open. And it's also Chelsea's, for Chelsea, it's sandwiched between Lyon games for them as well. But then there's also Reading, Brighton at the at the other end of the table, which could really hot up the, the relegation battle this year, which we haven't really seen in the WSL for quite a few years. There's too many this weekend. I, I could honestly watch all of those in real time. I will be at two of them. I'm going to be at the Merseyside Derby for Sky, and then I will also be at the North London Derby. And that's where I want to just finish off, actually, because of Spurs sacking Rianne Skinner, Vicky Jepsen in interim charge. I was also at the game between Spurs and Leicester, which they won 1-0 at Leighton Orient. But it was Bethany England and some absolute quality from her right boot again that kept them in this. I just can't see both of you, Spurs doing much now between here and the end of the season. I think the managerial change will take some adjusting. I think Vicky Jepsen is very experienced and I think they're not going to go down. But I do wonder what next for Spurs because they need to try and do what Aston Villa have been doing, surely, and trying to close that gap on the top sides. It's an interesting one because they have got they have got the players, which is obviously why Rianne Skinner ultimately lost her job because the, the players, they have got, you know, talent there. But like you said, in that game against Leicester, they just... It just didn't seem to be much there. Leicester were really unfortunate to not 
to come away with nothing from that game. They're sort of relying on the quality of Bethany England at the minute, aren't they? Exactly, which is is not the way you want to be because if she picks up an injury, then they're, you know, they're in real dire straits. But yeah, I mean, Vicky is, like you said, she's an experienced manager and I, you would hope that, that over the next few weeks she will get a grip on that team and be able to, to get some more out of the players because for some reason, I don't know why, because she's an excellent manager, Brian Skinner wasn't, hasn't been able to, to do it um, so far. But they, like you said, they should be looking much higher up the table than, than ninth place. They have got the setup. Just finally on those fixtures for the weekend, Aston Villa against Leicester City is also at Villa Park. So we've got some big games at the big stadia as well this weekend. Uh, we have run out of time for this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. A big thank you though to Harriet and Sarah. Really appreciate your time and for coming on. Thanks for having Thanks me, us. Thanks as well to producer Sophie for this one, who's back from her halls. I think I need a holiday. Everyone seems to have been away. Uh, Thank you as well to you for listening. If you've got any reactions or comments about what we've been chatting about, uh, you can tag us on socials with the hashtag AthleticWFP or on our handles. And Harriet, this one's over to you because you're in charge of this account. What's the handle? (laughs) At the Athletic FC. There you go. Also, keep across at Offside Rule Pod for lots of articles too. See you next week. The Athletic.